two friends out for a night drive see a ghastly figure standing at the side of the road? What are the ramifications of technology being used to bring the dead back to life? And then we take a look at the story of two roommates who are getting ready to go to sleep. They thought they were going to have peaceful dreams. Instead, they found themselves separated by force fields in a world where the laws of physics no longer apply. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys had an awesome week. We got a ton of stuff to cover today, so we're going to get started. First off, coming in through the door like the entrance of a WWE wrestler's fireworks going off. Emmanuel Martinez. Emmanuel Martinez is our newest Patreon. I should introduce people are like, why is he walking in like a WWE guy? He's just like some dude walking around. He's a Patreon supporter. Thank you so much, Emmanuel, for supporting the show. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. After the fireworks are all done and Emmanuel's done posing, I'm going to toss him the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to go for a little drive. We're headed out to Roberts Road. That's in Chicago, Illinois. I was recently told I was pronouncing that wrong by Horrible Night to Have a Curse. Threatened to put his head through the wall if I mispronounced it with the S one more time. I was tempted because I like heads going through walls. Emmanuel, we're going to start tailgating this car down this lonely, dark road called Roberts Road. It's February 1992, and it's 3 a.m. The witch's hour. It's not really, but we'll just pretend that's the spookiest hour. I think the spookiest hour is like 4 a.m. Because everyone's asleep then, right? Like, at 3 a.m., people are still kind of partying and stuff like that, but, like, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., there's not even garbage men on the roads. That's usually when the cops are changing their shift, too. So if you really really want to get some mischief going, between 4 and 5 is the best time to do it. We're driving down this road, and there's two guys driving in front of us. This was actually a call into the show Coast to Coast AM. Someone told this story. We're going to call this guy Cole. The driver of the car, we're going to name him Cole. He's driving with his buddy down the road, down Roberts Road. And they see someone standing on the side of the road. Which isn't odd in and of itself. There are people standing by roads right now, probably. But as they start to get closer to this figure, they realize something. He's holding a lantern. Now that's odd. If you ever see someone with a lantern and you're not in Amish country, you're probably looking at a ghost. And that's what they see. They see him because that's the only reason, the reason why you'd hold a lantern. They see this ghastly figure at the side of the road holding a lantern out. While they're looking at this arm, they see that the arm holding the lantern is bandaged up. Bloody bandages hanging. (laughs) Imagine super spooky music playing right now. Bloody bandages just trailing off of his arm and it's holding this lantern. They're like, he should probably hold it with his other arm since that one's obviously injured. They're driving closer and the figure starts to move across the street. And it's walking in a bizarre fashion because it only has one leg. Its mouth is wide open. Uh, Its eyes rolled back into its head. As it's (laughs) basically, I'm telling an R.L. Stein story at this point. Mouth open. uh, Eyes rolled in the back of the head. Arm holding out old timey lantern fluttering bloody bandages off of his arm. I don't know what the other arm's doing. It's playing craps. It's rolling dice. Ghost dice. 
And they're watching this figure walk across the road. Now, I don't know if he's hopping. There, there's a couple things that I'm wondering. Well, actually, I'll, let me finish the story first. So this guy's like kind of walking across the road on one leg. And they drive past him. But the figure is continuing to walk as they're slowing down. Now they're looking in their rearview mirror. There's another car behind him. And they see that car drive right through him. And then there's another car behind them. And that car drives through him as well. And then he slowly walks across the street and disappears into the darkness. And across the street was a cemetery. Now, I know what you're thinking, Jason. First off, you really are just telling R.L. Stein stories at this point. It's really, really hard to find a super good ghost story. That's always been one of my big struggles on this show. So this, this is one of those. I would have preferred someone to get possessed or to wake up and be covered in bloody bandages or find out they were the bandages all along. Plot twist. But really, it's just this super gross phantom walking across the street. I've always been intrigued. A long-time listeners of the show know this. I've always been intrigued by ghost physics. So if the ghost only has one leg, there's no mention of a crutch. Was he hopping across the road? Did it look like he was walking on two legs, but you could only see one? How did that work? Was he floating like Casper? Was it Casper? Was Casper accounted for at 3 a.m. in 1992 in August? Where was he? All sorts of stuff to go on. Now, obviously, him crossing the street and and going into the graveyard, that's pretty cliche. Cars, multiple cars passing through him is interesting. It would make me think if it was a trick of the light. Anytime you introduce a new element into the environment, the reflection of the light is going to change. So let's say that it was morning dew or yeah it would be 3 a.m morning dew on their windshield or it was raining or something it was causing some sort of smudge once they're looking out their back window they shouldn't have seen it if it was some sort of optical illusion and every time more metal passed through the apparition had it been an optical illusion it should have dissolved at that point anytime you introduce a new element like if you have a sunbeam coming in your house which i often do and then it hits the hardwood floor and then hits me in the eyeball I have to cover up the light beam, the sunbeam, with a blanket that I throw on the hardwood floor. I guess I can shut my window, but I throw a blanket on the floor so the beam can't get me anymore. I introduce the new element. So the fact that other cars are passing through this makes me... I mean, the guy could be making it up, but let's assume that he did experience something. The fact that other elements are moving in the story makes me believe that he saw this thing. Outside of him just making the story up for attention. You know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't be a mistaken identity at this point. A creepy ghost story. I'll give it... This is a new thing I'm coming up with. I would give it 7 out of 10 boos. Like little ghosts. Imagine a little cartoon ghost. Could be scarier. The bandage man could have appeared in the back of his seat. It could have appeared in his seat. Could have turned out that he was the bandage man all along. You could have done a lot of other stuff. But I guess if I'm... R.L. Stein can actually make stuff up. If I'm telling the story as it's true, it's pretty spooky. No one likes driving around roads at night. That's spooky. Um, blood, bloody ghosts are always spooky. Ghost physics always spooky. So, 7 out of 10 booze. Hopefully <laughs> that's the only time I'm ever going to use that segment. Emmanuel, let's fire up the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We're going to leave behind Roberts Road in Chicago. We are headed out to a computer laboratory. <laughs> Dirgible's flying over, nerd headquarters, we land on the roof, we're kicking over their air conditioning vents so all their servers overheat. What? No, they were like that when we came up here. They're like, dude, there's obviously, you, we heard you kicking it, we have security cameras, we're like, ah, I should have kicked those too. 
After we get detained by security, and then we're able to talk our way out of that, we're walking around this computer laboratory, and we're going to meet a bunch of eggheads. They're sitting on there. They're, like, running all these algorithms and stuff, and we're like, hey, what's going on? They're like, did, did you just try sabotaging? No, 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 that was the other guy. That was Emmanuel. He's still detained. He's still locked up. We pinned him for it. Anyways, we're talking to these guys, and this is this interesting story. This is actually recommended to me by John from Scar. Thank you so much for the recommendation. When we had that shooting at Stoneman Douglas, the high school in Florida, it was obviously a tragedy. I don't remember the exact amount of death, but it doesn't matter. Like one or 17, I think anyone is too much, right? That's horrible. You're, you're going in there to learn. Some idiot comes in with a gun and starts shooting the place. So it doesn't matter if it was one or a thousand. It's horrible any other way. And obviously you have families grieving from this. Recently, the parents of Joaquin Oliver, he was one of the young men who was gunned down that day, murdered. And so Joaquin Oliver is, he's passed away during the shooting. And his parents, working with Unfinished Votes Campaign, have created a one minute long, for lack of a better term, deep fake video of their son saying, hey, I died two years ago. Here's what you can do to prevent more deaths. Now, the technology is amazing. I obviously never knew the young man while he was alive. So I don't know how accurate it is. But it looks and sounds like a real person. I don't... Apparently, they took video footage of him or took... You know how they normally make deep fakes is they take video footage. And they take photos. You need like a thousand frames of one person. And then you can lay them over somebody else. And this looks incredibly authentic. I don't, per, personally speaking, it's kind of being played, they released this and it's kind of being played up like, how dare this family do this to their son who's passed away. If the son agrees with what he's saying, like if when he was still around and they were talking as a family, and he was like, yeah, yeah, I can't believe, you know, like these laws are allowed and stuff like that. If it was something the son agreed with, I personally don't have a problem with this family using their son in this way. I don't have a problem with that. What my concern is, is where this technology can lead. So now we're in the same laboratory. It's eight months from now. And the same dudes are working. (laughs) They all have eight months worth of stubble. They haven't left the building. They're working on all their equipment. We're like, hey, so what are you working on now? And they go, oh, dude, check this out. They hit the play button. And we see a man. He's like 65 years old. He's standing there and he goes, You know, I didn't believe that COVID-19 was a problem. I was one of the guys outside spitting in people's faces and coughing and and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And look at me now. And then they show this image of the 65-year-old man get like bloated and stuff like that. And then he's a big old purple corpse. And he goes, I should have listened to the experts. We're like, what? Who made that? And the computer technician goes, oh, well, you know, his family had a big divide about how to deal with COVID-19 and he didn't agree with it and so he went out and he went to the uh, uh, big town spitting festival was spitting in people's faces it wasn't really a festival he just liked spitting in people's faces and he got it and he died and the family wanted to basically send this message that this is what happens if you spit in people's faces and we're like that's a weird example but that's where I could see this technology going is being used to penalize the dead Again, this kid, he may have been an avid gun control kid, right? He could have totally been against guns, and the family's like, oh, no, he believed this anyways. 
It's this application. Or imagine this. You have a young man who is sitting there and we're watching this video and he goes, shouldn't have been gay. Shouldn't have been gay. I went out. I went against my parents' wishes. I went out, started doing all this stuff, and and I'm dying. And as the video progresses, he's getting more and more emaciated. He dies of AIDS. That is where I think we'll see this technology next. I think it'll be used to penalize the dead. I think we'll see that very, very shortly. I think we will see people be penalized for their decisions after they die via this technology. That's the creepy part of it. We already have something like that anyways, where when people die of COVID-19, have you ever gone to any of their Facebook pages? Because it'll be in the news when someone doesn't believe in the virus or says it was a hoax or, or whatever they're saying, and they die of it. There will be articles being like, this guy a week ago said it was fake on Facebook, and now he's dead. They'll post a Facebook post. They'll have the dude's name. You go find his name. And it's people talking trash on this dude's Facebook page about him not believing in the virus and dying of it. The implication is if he had followed every recommendation, he would still be alive. We, we know that's not true. We know people who do follow every recommendation who pass away. I follow every recommendation. I'm very, very safe. Try to keep myself as safe as possible with COVID-19. But we already see people penalizing the dead. And I saw it as myself as a kid during the AIDS crisis. When people died of AIDS, it was their fault. I remember that growing up. Oh, you know. We see the same thing with lung cancer, too. When someone passes away of cancer, the first question somebody asks, because you, you have a loved one who has lung cancer or is suffering from cancer, the first question people ask is, oh, did they smoke? We have a tendency to blame the sick and the dying anyways. And I think this technology, while being used in, by this particular family, may be fine, because if that's what they agree on and that's what he agreed on, then whatever then that's fine, but it, I think it'll be used to penalize the dead. I think very, very shortly, we will have people who are dying of stuff, and we'll see videos of them saying, oh, I shouldn't have eaten at McDonald's all the time. Look at my big, fat, bloated corpse. I should have eaten Subway instead. It's a commercial for Subway. We're going to see that, unfortunately. Emmanuel, we are leaving behind this scientific laboratory. Let's call in that carpenter copter. We are headed out to... A place not disclosed. <laughs> I just looked down my notes. There's no location. <laughs> Flying around for about three years until we finally find this. This also takes place in 1992. This is August of 1992. We're going to land at this house. Now, we walk into the house. We, we made a key when the occupants weren't looking. There's two dudes living in this house. They have fake names. Jake and Hal. It's time to go to bed. Ooh, they got their little pajamas on with their little uh, little cap, the little pointy cap with the ball on the end of it. Ah, oh, good night, Jake. Good night, Hal. And they go into their separate bedrooms. Their bedrooms are actually separated by a hallway that's about three feet wide. And they're exactly looking in on each other. If they close the door. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, not like they lived in gerbil cages. Jake is deep asleep. And all of a sudden... <gasps> He wakes up in his dark room, and he feels the blanket slowly being pulled off of his body. That's enough to alarm you. He sits up in bed, and he sees something standing next to him. We don't get much of a description of this creature. We get a description of its eyes, which are described as being side by side and long, almost like they were squinting. 
And it also had very, very long fingers. We don't get any description of height or head size. Because of the other things that follow, it is probably a gray alien. And it's interesting, actually, now that I say that, because this story's taking place in 1992, gray aliens weren't as well known. This was before X-Files. This was after Communion, but before X-Files. So Lil Green Men was really the description of him, and the idea of the gray alien wasn't universal. But anyway, so he wakes up and he sees this creature slowly pulling the blanket off of him, and he sits up in bed. The creature, with really no visible reaction, is not angry or anything by what by getting caught. He's like, oh no, the blanket bandit has been caught. I've been I've been across eight galaxies, and I've never been caught. He's pulling the blanket off the bed. Jacob sits up. The alien simply touches Jacob's chest, and Jake immediately falls down, paralyzed. Now he's flat on the bed. He's screaming out for help. How? How? Help! Help! The blanket bandit! He's finally in our galaxy! Howl hears the screaming, jumps up out of bed, and he opens the door, and he can see into the bedroom. Jake is laying there, and he goes, somehow, I don't even know how this was physically possible, but somehow I'm laying there perfectly still, and this creature is no longer standing next to me. It's standing over me, but it's not even really standing over me. It's simply over me, and he's screaming out for help, and he hears Hal screaming as well, Jake, Jake, what's going on? Here, let me, let me help. The room has become as silent as a vacuum. There is no noise now. He just sees this thing over him and can hear nothing. Hal, on the other hand, is trying to get into Jake's room. He goes to run into the room and he bounces back. He goes up to the door again. He can see perfectly well into the room, but he can't get in. It was like a force field had appeared. He punches the doorway and his hand bounces back. He begins beating on this force field. What he sees gives us a better idea of what Jake was going through. This creature was floating over Jake. He said he saw a dark mass. That's all he saw. Floating over Jake. And as he's banging on this invisible barrier, the mass begins to lower itself, lower itself, lower itself, until it touches Jake's body and then is absorbed by Jake's body. A bright blue light comes in from the outside window. Jake begins to levitate off of the bed. Hal wakes up. What was that? It was a horrible dream. It's 7.30 in the morning. He wakes up. He goes, and even though he's dreaming the whole thing, right? He goes and he checks on Jake. Jake's like, you won't believe what happened last night. I don't know if it was a dream or what, but something came in my bedroom. This story was first reported by Carla Turner in Unexplained Universe Number 1. It's interesting because we've done a lot of stories recently where that start off in bed, and I always do the caveat going, it could just be dreaming. This could all be a dream. Dreaming is when the most fantastical things happen. But you can't have two people dream the same thing. If two people are sharing a dream, that is not scientifically possible. 
you can have two people, say, both eat a bunch of, like, black licorice ice cream and watch The Walking Dead, and then that night they both dream about zombies. But if in the dream, one guy's like, Charlie, hand me that axe, and then Charlie throws the axe to Joe, and they both remember that exact same thing, they remember the exact same color of the axe, they probably actually fought zombies in the middle of the night. It's not possible to for two people to have the same dream at the same time. Also from different points of view. This would have to, and again, we always have to say, if they're not making the story up, this would have to be an actual encounter of a alien kind. That's not unusual for the show, though. Again, like I was saying in the beginning, I'm always intrigued by the physics of ghosts. I'm also intrigued by the physics of aliens. The fact that they can defy them. The fact that they can shut off sound, that they can... Uh, there is nothing on Earth right now that can create a force field. We actually covered a story a long time ago at the 3M factory where they had these two two big giant rolls of like cellophane. And the machine was faulty and it created a force field between those two things. Flies were getting stuck in it. So you can do it. I'll backtrack. You can create a force field. They didn't live in a 3M factory. They lived in a house. These, these, whatever this thing was, was able to do oh, quite a few things that are deemed impossible. Levitation, absorption, sponges can absorb, but like absorbing matter and energy, force fields, destroying sound. And the other thing is why, that's actually, now that I say that, it's interesting that it did eliminate the ability for Jake to hear. What would be the technical benefit or the strategic benefit of doing that? We talk a lot about aliens abducting people. But every so often you pop up in a story where aliens are replicating people. There's been that long-term theory that aliens are actually demons. That's been a long-time conspiracy theory. So it, it's almost like it possessed him. And it would make sense to shut off the noise in that factor. Because if you knew, if you're in a, if you're in a situation where you could get rescued, let's say you're in a cave-in and you can get rescued, hope is what keeps you going. If you're in a cave-in in a 10.0 earthquake in the middle of Tokyo and, you know, and you're in the middle of nowhere, you're in a cave and the city got destroyed and you're in a cave and you're, you know that they're never going to find you. No one knew you were in the area. Even if they did, there's 10 million other residents they need to take care of first. Hope is what keeps us alive. If he could hear his buddy calling out to him, I'm going to help you. I'm coming in. There's an invisible barrier, but I'll get through. Don't you worry, Jake. You hold on. Just another second, buddy. You would hold on another second. But if you couldn't hear them, you know, he's paralyzed on his back. He couldn't even really see what was going on. If he thought that there was no rescue, that Hal wasn't coming to get him, that the only thing in that room was him and this creature that's slowly lowering itself on top of you, your will to fight is lessened. You have no reinforcements. There is no escape. Just give in. Aliens truly are a supernatural menace. I'd say other than demons, they are the one element that is constantly sowing chaos on the planet. Ghosts are something you stumble across. You don't come home and there's a ghastly man with one leg and bloody bandages going through your refrigerator. Right? If there's a ghost in your bedroom while you're sleeping, it's at best mildly inconvenient and at worst absolutely terrifying. But it's just a ghost. At a certain point, you're like, ah, oh, it's just a ghost. It's just a ghost walking around. I mean, again, it's still terrifying, right? 
but you can live your normal life in a haunted apartment. You can't live a normal life in an apartment full of aliens. You can't live a normal life if demons are after you. And both of those creatures are seem to be so malevolent. You do have a lot of stories where you have aliens as the good guy, but for the most part, alien lore, they are jacking people up. They're taking buttholes out of cows. They're poking you, sticking needles in your brain. Every so often, an alien makes pancakes for a farmer. We covered that story. That was nice. That was nice that they did that. But for the most part, aliens seem to be very malevolent. They're truly one of the biggest adversaries. In the paranormal world, they're one of the biggest adversaries that we have to face. And they might actually be more common than demons. They may be more common than demonic activity. That'd be actually interesting to look into. So if you ever find yourself in a situation where you have an alien force corner you, don't give up. Don't give in. Fight back. If they paralyze you, fight back with your mind. If they mind wipe you, fight back with your spirit. If we make every alien encounter with humans a struggle, if every time they show up we fight back, they will back off. If every time you went to pet a dog, the dog snapped at you, and then every dog snapped at every human, they no longer wanted to be petted. They no longer wanted to be subservient. They wanted to get off their leash and go on their own. If that happened every single time, people would stop treating dogs as pets. Wouldn't it be worth it? Because you know eventually that snapping is going to draw blood. That's how we fight back. On the other hand, if every time we went to pet a dog, it snapped at us, would we keep dogs around at all? Would we let their existence be a thing on this earth if every encounter with a dog had a high possibility of turning violent? Would aliens stop harassing humans if we fought back every single time? Or would they simply realize the experiment has become too dangerous to continue? It's time to cleanse the planet and start over. We won't know until that day comes. But until that day comes, I say fight back. Give them nothing. Take from them everything. Do not let the aliens push you around. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com I just started an intergalactic war. Also, I don't mean hybrids either, right? Because we did have that guy a while back who was like, oh yeah... Shoot shoot hybrids in the face. And how can you tell the difference between a hybrid and an alien? You couldn't. Don't do that. But if a bunch of gray aliens or reptilians or whatever show up in your bedroom, fight back. But if you just think your mailman's a hybrid, he's not. He's, he's not. Don't don't fight back against him. He's just trying to bring you your mail. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great day, guys.